G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Ken Duncan, welcome along to 2020. Yeah, I am. You can hear me clearly? I can hear you clearly, yes. Okay, good. Don't know what happened there. Ken, uh, just been introducing you and talking about some of the uh, pursuits that you've been involved with. Uh, I mentioned your first book, The Last Frontier, Australia-wide. That's continued to sell well all these years, hasn't it? And uh, tens of thousands of copies sold. Well, look, we're sold now. I've done about 60 books, and we've done over nearly about 3 million books. Wow, 3 million books Okay. Worldwide, yeah. So uh, a few books out there. <laughs> uh, just uh, quickly, let's just recount a little bit of history for us, this uh, Ken Duncan history. You came back from a, a visit to the United States uh, many years ago and uh, you had a whole new vision for what could happen with landscape photography. Uh, just take us back to those days and getting new ideas about what you could do with photography, turning it into major artworks. Well, I always believed there was a potential to, you know, for photographers to actually take photos and sell them rather than, you know, shooting for commercial clients on the cars, bras and handlebars or whatever you're shooting. Um, I just thought there had to be a, a creative outlet. So basically I went off with my camera up into the Kimberleys to get a panoramic collection of photos and then I uh, got that collection and fronted up to New York and sort of doors opened up and... Uh, and that's where it all started. We sort of took this collection over there, and it was quite miraculous how that happened because when I arrived there with my portfolio to the world's largest gallery, they said, you don't just turn up here with a gallery, an exhibition or a portfolio. You've got to be asked. And I said, oh, gee, I didn't realise that. <laughs> but in, in the end, they took... Uh, the lady just thought I was like, this guy's really crazy, coming all the way from Australia. So she had a look at it, the, the secretary, and she said, look, I can't promise anything, but I'll see if I can somehow get them to look at it. And uh, they looked at it, and the next minute they're wanting me to do all sorts of stuff. So that's where it really started, and I just thought, right. Uh, I came back to Australia really believing that there was a market, and so basically that's how I started with a portfolio, showing people my prints and selling prints. And often people say to me, how do I sell my work? I say, well, you know what? You get a beautiful portfolio, and you go out there, and show people, and if they really like it, they'll want to buy it, and just be ready to tell them a price. But also, to the today's photographers, you know, the biggest thing that's a problem for them is they go and show people things on social media, or they show them on their laptops, or they show them on their little uh, phones or devices, and that's the worst thing you can do because people can't get that sense of, you know, connection when it's just something like that, they, they consider it digital fodder. So still, more than ever, you need to print your photos and have beautiful prints so that when people see them, they go, wow, and they connect to the shots. 
Okay, so the bigger the better. What you're saying is if you wanted to sell your own digital photos, uh, you wouldn't just show people on your device. You'd actually get them printed on, and you know, big canvas type uh, uh, photos. Canvas I'm not really into because to me that's a photo trying to pretend to be a painting, you know. And you don't need to pretend to be anything. Uh, you know, I mean, I can, if people like canvas, that's okay. But I love printing things to the highest standard on beautiful papers. The paper I use is a cotton rag, Hanamula is the name. And the reason I do that is I want my prints to last. And this is the most archival technique you can use. And I, I use the Epson ink set because it's without doubt the most archival set of inks around. And then I spray my prints so... Everything's got to be done. If you really want to be serious about photography, you've got to take it to a serious level. And there's no big deal. That's what, why I'm actually teaching a lot and doing this series of seminars because at a time when there's never been more photos taken, very little has been done with them rather than low-level social media. And look, I, I understand social media. I do social media. But to me, that's not a permanent way of telling a story. It's just a consumer sort of thing so it's never been a more important time for people to really start doing some more printing and presentation because really a photograph is not a photograph until it's printed now let's move into <coughs> issues to do with the sort of camera that you might need if you're going to take a, a photo that will blow up to a really big beautiful print i mean something a little bit like what you do i imagine uh, that the quality of the photo uh, means that you can blow up your image to a, a larger image, but if the photo quality is not that great, when it blows up, it's going to look pretty awful, isn't it? Yeah, look, convenience of iPhones is all very nice, but if you're looking to do serious photography at this stage, really, you need a proper camera, and a camera that's able to shoot in a, what they call a raw format, which gives you far much more opportunity to get all the detail in your highlights and your shadows. So, you know, I'm sure phones are going to get better and better. But the thing is, you need to do something like, like a Lumix. I have a Lumix camera. I love those little cameras because they're so easy to use. And then I have, you know, I have a whole range of cameras. Then I have my big Phase 1 camera. But if you really want to get a large print or you're doing a large print, sometimes with the smaller cameras what you can do is do what they call stitching. So in other words, you can take multiple images and that will be able to achieve a much larger file size so that you can still even use a small camera. So, for example, if I had to shoot a big print, I could virtually do it with any camera on the market because I would, I would shoot multiple shots and then stitch it together in a program. So that's one way to get around it. But for me, really it's best to get it in one capture. So that's when you want something more like a serious camera like the you know, I mean, the Lumix will do it up to a 20 by 30 inch print. You know, you can get awesome prints just from that. Or a Canon or a Nikon, or then if you really want to go, you know, crazy, the Phase 1, because that's now a 100 megapixel shot, which is one shot which has a lot of information. <laughs> When you say uh, when you want to go crazy, uh, we're talking about cameras that uh, cost, uh, for many people, an arm and a leg. I mean, you can pay a lot of money for a camera, can't you? I mean, what's the, what's the, what sort of uh, dollar figure do you think, uh, without sort of talking necessarily no. brands and uh, no. you know, trying to market sure. anyone's particular brand, no. but, but the sort of dollars that you might be looking at for the, the, the type of level camera that's going to take 
an outstanding photo, but might not necessarily be the top of the top end. Look, to get a camera that you're going to be able to take great photos to do up to a 20 by 30 inch print, you can get them for under $10,000. Uh, so, you know, you don't have to spend a fortune, you know. But, you know, this is one of the things that I'm going to be doing in these workshops, finding out what do you want to do with your photography. Because a lot of people are getting SLR cameras and they still think that that's the best way to go. But now there's all this mirrorless technology which is out, which makes the cameras much smaller, much lighter, and they call micro four-thirds format, which is a smaller format but still does amazing results. And so often people have got cameras that they shouldn't even have and they're making their whole life of photography so difficult they, and, you know, when they go to take a photo, they never have it there because it, their camera gear is this big backpack somewhere that they only take out on special occasions when they're taking photographs, yet they miss all these other opportunities through life. So that's why, you know, you really need to, you know, like uh, if you uh, have a camera that's portable, something that you can have with you. That's why a lot of people are now shooting on iPhones because of the convenience factor. They have their iPhone and then some complicated camera at home. So what you need to do is get that medium sort of style camera, maybe micro four-thirds camera, and then you can just Wi-Fi your shots directly to the, to the phone if you want to. But your social media stuff is going to be far greater than anybody else out there with their little phones. And what you're going to be able to do is then also do beautiful prints later because you're going to have raw files and you're going to have big enough files to do at least a 20 by 30 inch print, which is, you know, or a metre print, you'll get away with a metre-wide print. So, All right, that's great advice and plenty more to come. We'll be talking more about taking digital photos. You might like to be part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. If you have a question or a comment to talk about uh, digital photos and taking better uh, photographs. Uh, Ken Duncan is our guest. Ken, you mentioned that that initial uh, that initial visit to the United States, where things really started to take off, you had taken a a number of uh, examples of your uh, photographic prints to the US, and they were prints that were taken uh, from the Kimberley. You've just gotten back from another three-week uh, expedition to the Kimberley. Did you get a few good shots while you were there? Look, I I, I think I did. I haven't <laughs> I haven't even looked at them fully yet. I. I give it always a little rest when I come back I, and I just wait a little while and I'll just have a look in a week or so and then I'll have another look. For me, you know, it takes a few looks to, before I finally find the, the gems, you know. So that's how I do it. They evolve over time. So, yeah. And these, these days you have another motivation for going to places like the Kimberley. And uh, well, while there are some beautiful, magnificent uh, landscapes to photograph there uh, you've also come into contact with uh, the wonderful people in the Kimberley and you've also got your finger on the pulse when it comes to some of the challenges they're facing uh, in the Kimberley and uh, with Indigenous youth and challenges there. Uh, what sort of things have you been involved in with your work with the local community there in the Kimberley? Well I have a history with the Kimberley because my mum and dad were missionaries up there in 49, 1950 and 51 and so I have a great connection with the people up there. And my mum and dad were up there not to just bash them with the Bible or something like that. They were up there to actually help them 
uh, learn skills to integrate them into the white man society because these people had just come off the land. So my dad was quite a horseman and taught a lot of them how to muster cattle and things like that. And a, a whole generation of uh, cowboys came from that sort of that time that dad and mum spent with them. And so, you know, I've been watching very carefully up there and then I went back with my dad when I started my career. You know, I actually went up with my dad when I went on that trip to the Kimberleys to start with because I was fascinated by his old black and white photos when I was a kid of, you know, and that's the thing, you know, he just shot them on a little Kodak <laughs> camera and they're amazing shots. So it's not necessarily about the camera, it's just that he'd printed those prints and those prints really affected me to the point where when he went on that journey I went with him with my camera and that was the catalyst to get me going so I've been spending a bit of time with the Kimberley people over the years and I've been saddened because as they've embraced the dream time stuff that white men try and throw at them all the time um, you know they've sort of lost their Christian heritage as well because they were very solid there was some real great things happening there and there's a lot of things going on up there that are, that are sad. There's been a lot of problems with the finances. You know, a lot of people think that um, all the money that gets to the Aboriginals, it doesn't. You know, probably 90% of any money that's uh, aimed at Indigenous people, only 10% actually gets there because the rest of it goes in the process. You know, of all the people involved in between to make sure the money gets here and gets there and it's just got out of hand and in some of these communities there's a lot of hopelessness now because you know they've, they've heard all the government promises and then you've got mining in there who's you know there there's all this pressure on mining and royalties and the royalties don't actually go to the people they go to the lands councils and then the lands councils you know are, are meant to be administering the money so it's just become really difficult for them and to the point where the youth suicide up there in some of these communities is seven times that of our national average. And, you know, while we're up there, or just before we got there, a 10-year-old had committed suicide. And, you know, uh, she wasn't just the only one. There'd been others. Her sister had committed suicide the year before. And, and I just, you know, we were talking to the Aboriginals, and I was up there with Ray Martin, who was with me. He was He's a lovely man, and... And he was really probing and saying, look, what's the problems? And every time they would talk, they'd say, it's a sense of hopelessness. And then also the other one was, you know, what's happening is in the society, men are, you know, now a lot of it, there's some immorality coming into our world a fair bit, and men are sleeping with many women, and the next minute you've got children to many husbands, and who's the father, and the whole family system... And that's another issue, you know, it's uh, some real problems. So the one thing that we've got to try and do is bring hope into these communities. And the thing is, they need access to, to training and uh, technology that we take for granted. So that's what I was up there. I was up there with a really positive group who are working up the Wanambul people, um, Gambera people. Then up, We went up to a, a place called, called Truscott, which is near Columbaroo. And here's this bunch of young men and women who are rangers and, you know, they're really, you know, full of life and positivity. And 
you know, I just thought Ray and I were there teaching them with the cameras and Lumix cameras because they, they allowed us to take some up there. And we had so much fun. And you, this is what we need to do. We need to get rid of our opinions of the Indigenous issues. We need to start thinking, how can we help? Because, and, and you know, one of the things from that coming and going there, we're already working with Indigenous people out in the heart of Australia on a program called Walk a Wild, and we're starting to really see some great opportunities open up now, and it's taken us years to develop that. But while up in the Kimberleys, I just thought, my gosh, this need is so much bigger. You know, there's so many communities doing it tough. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on these communities by people who have opinions, that, like the Twiggy Forest Report, whereby... The aim is really to make it uncomfortable on their lands to force them into cities and, and bigger towns where the jobs are. And it just totally doesn't understand the importance of connection to land to these people. You know, in, in people, they, they have this connection. So it's a very complex issue. And to the point, I've been really immersed in it quite a lot over the years. And it's time that we really need to get to Malcolm Turnbull and talk to him because... All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put this situation together again and it's time for the king to get off his throne and do something about it because the part of the biggest problem is it's the process. And until we look at the process, nothing's going to change. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. It's Neil with you. Ken Duncan is our guest, well known as the pioneer of limited edition photographic art in Australia. After a visit to New York in the early 1980s, Ken returned home with a dream to have photography widely accepted as an art form in this country. He's our guest this hour. We're talking tips on taking better digital photos. You can be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. And we're also talking about Ken's other mission pursuits as a Christian believer, the son of missionaries to the Kimberley in WA. Ken, let's come back to talking about some uh, taking better digital photos for a few moments. So uh, yep. we talked about having a, a good camera, uh, but what are your top tips? Uh, just get, hit us with a, a few top tips uh, for actually improving our capacity to take good digital photos. Well, one of the things is learn to relate with watch your photographing because often people want to take photographs but they often don't put back into where they are and what I mean by that is I really believe great photos come out of building a relationship with the people or also you know trying to connect with the land that's around you you know because often I just see people come and they just turn up and they go okay Mitchell Falls okay here we are click got the photo off I go that is not paying respect to the place. What you need to do is sit there and I throw up a prayer. I say, Lord, let me see this place. Show me what I'm really trying to see. And, you know, the thing is sometimes the more spectacular scene, that's where you can get really seduced by thinking, oh, this looks great. And then you go and photograph it. And then when you get home, you look at it and you go, yeah, it was a lot better than that. And that's because what you've done is you forgot, you've failed to really connect with that place and present it properly to other people. And one of the keys with that is you've got to understand you're shooting a three-dimensional object with a camera that sees in two dimensions. So you actually have to create that third dimension in that photo so that you actually get people wanting to be drawn into that picture. 
And these are some of the keys, learning to do that, how to create that depth in a photograph so people really connect with it. <laughs> well, uh, when you that's talk about... <laughs> that's, that's, this is, let's dwell on this just for a moment because, uh, you know, uh, my photography is not necessarily absolutely fabulous, uh, although I can, I can point to a few good photos, but you have to take an awful lot of them to get a, a good one with me. But, but this idea of arriving at, as you say, uh, you arrive at a beautiful waterfall and uh, you're out with the camera and very quickly you think, I'll just get a, a great photo of that. And, and so, you know, the Johnson uh, method of, uh, of, of capturing the, the holiday memory is, okay, we've got the photo, now what are we doing? But you're saying, actually, uh, sit a while, uh, take in the scene... Uh. I imagine uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, breathing in the freshness of the air, listening to the sound of the waterfall, uh, looking at the way that the light is falling on the waterfall so that you can actually capture the different dimensions, not just something just two-dimensional. It's almost a spiritual experience you're talking about. It definitely is. Often, you know, I think when we go to heaven, God's going to show us all the shots we missed (laughs) because we we were too in control, you know. (laughs) And and the thing is, the key is, you know, be still and know that I am God. The key is, I'm not trying to get all religious on people, but the thing is that you just need to let God in on this process, you know. And if you do and you're brave enough, all of a sudden you'll get what I'm talking about. And this is one of the things I'm also going to be talking about in the seminars because... You know, people don't tell you about that esoteric side of photography, but it's like a zone, and you can enter into it. Now, you know, that's, and it can, become, it can become so consuming that actually sometimes, you know, when I'm out photographing, you can anticipate where the, the weather's coming from, the, where the clouds are going, where the wind is blowing. It, be, it gets like that, or you can anticipate the animal where it's moving. So... You know, it's a bit like, you know, people say there is no spiritual world or... Now, if you said that to an Aboriginal, they'd just look at you like you were an alien and just think, okay, something's missing in your upbringing. So there is something happening out there bigger than us. And the key is being brave enough to sort of think, okay, what is really happening here? And when you allow yourself to do that, all of a sudden some magical things begin to happen. And so we try and... This is why this has been. This one's going to be an interesting seminar because I'm going to start to show people how to actually begin to operate in that level to be able to get shots that have just have a, a something about them that just really touch people. So um, yeah, it's it's hard explaining, but just just try it. Just go out there one day and slow down. You see, one of the biggest things now with digital, we click, 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 and think <laughs> quantity will get quality, not necessarily. You, everything's about a moment <clears throat> or a composition. And, you know, if you're just moving too fast, you won't actually see the picture, the little picture inside the big picture. You know, so, Ken, I've heard people sharing their Christian testimony uh, a number of times, in fact, where they shared the before and after experience of uh, coming to Christ, of yep. praying a sinner's prayer, and, and people who have reflected on that idea of uh, I never noticed the colours so vividly as I looked out into the landscape after I was born again. Is there something uh, that is in the heart of the Christian believer, the one who is the follower of Christ, someone who is an appreciator of the beauty of God, uh, that actually might make our photography just more lively than the ordinary person who has no idea of the beauty that God has created? 
Look, I think it's all there for people to see. It's just we are so in, we, we get taught in life that we're meant to be in control. And it's sort of a joke in a way because you're traveling on a planet at 108,000 kilometers per hour hurtling through space and, you know, rotating at 1,700 kilometers per hour. And so here's a little human on Earth saying, I'm in control, like it's laughable. <laughs> if the brakes go on, we'll see how much control we've got. But so the thing is, it's, you know, this is why we often get shots that are just average because we're so in control. Now, you might get lucky every now and then, but what you can do is you can explore this thing that some people will say is luck. And if you just allow yourself to be open, then things start to evolve. You start to see God can use you. And it's about humbling yourself before a place, in a place, you know, becoming one with that place. You know, uh, that's where I believe real shots come from. Now... It's an exciting thing, and often I'll say, I had a, a really good photographer friend of mine who's technically, he was brilliant. He, was, he knew all his technicality. And he, he, he said, Ken, so what do you think of my photography? And I said, look, technically it's fantastic, but there's one thing missing. And he said, what? And I said, it's spirit. I said, because, you know, it's all technically nice, but it's just missing the spirit. He said, well, what do I do? And I said, well, look, what you're going to try and do is just go, when you're going out, say, God... Help me see what I meant to see. Anyway, are you serious? I said, yeah, look, just try it. Don't you know, get all religious. Just... Why don't we hear from some listeners? Uh, let's hear from Rose in East Brisbane in Queensland. Hello, Rose. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil and Ken. Um, Ken, I have a photograph of London Bridge, the rock formation, before it fell down. And uh, an amateur photographer told me that should be worth something. Would that be true? Um, look, I think there's probably a lot of people who have photos of the bridge before it fell down. And in That's fact, I actually met up with a lady who took photos of it actually falling down. So they'd probably be more valuable than anything. But look, it's still a great memory thing to have. And I guess it depends on how good a quality photo it is. Rose okay. from East Brisbane. Rose, thank you so much for your call. I imagine when you've got historical photos, it's one thing to have an image, uh, but the quality of that image is going to be important as to whether it's valuable, Ken. Yeah, look, I guess if it's um, something unique, then the quality's less. But when it's something that there's probably a lot of people have got a shot of, it needs to be about the quality. Uh, thanks, Rose. Let's hear from Mary in Melbourne. Hello, Mary. Welcome along Hi. to 2020. How are you? Good, Mary. What are your thoughts on taking better digital photos? Or do you have a question for Ken? Well, probably more of a comment. My Actually, my mother, mother-in-law is actually related to Ken. Um, she's a Duncan, but they've right. found in the past that somehow they're related somehow, which is a little right. bit exciting. Yep. Um, my husband absolutely loves taking photos. And you're talking before about, you know, you know, about praying or, or asking God to show you something in his creation. My husband, one day when we were at Mount Arapolis, had this desire, and it was a stormy day, to go out, and he just went. He just listened to, you know, God inside him. So he went out, and he sat in this tree, and the storm blew over, the sun came out, and the double rainbow came over Amen. the rock with yeah. the um, furrows in the field, which had been recently cut, leading towards the rock. Wow. And it's the most amazing, amazing photo. And he was using a horizon panoramic. He loves a panoramic too. Cool. But he still loves the old um, oh. photography way rather than the digital. He's not overly impressed with it, I've got to say. He just well, look, 
Yeah, you can shoot. It's it's the way you shoot. It's not necessarily the medium. So I still shoot on digital, but I still want reality to be the real thing. You know, not if trouble is with digital is people get carried away with Photoshop and they start, you know, like kids on red cordial. They just don't know when yeah. to stop. They get carried away. So, yeah, so get it right in the camera. I still use it. I still shoot film too from time to time. So. You know, and that this goes back, you know, when I was talking before about that guy who asked me about what must he do, and I told him you need to throw up a prayer. Well, he started to do that. And then one day he said, man, this stuff really works. And then he one day was teaching someone else, and they were having problems. It was really bad light. And uh, he, so he starts telling this lady, he says, this, look, Ken told me that if you're you know, out there and stuff's not happening or something, just chuck up a prayer and say, okay, God, can you help me? And so this lady said, listen, I, look, I'm a non-practicing Jewish person. I'm not going to be going out talking to God. I'm sort of got a, angry with God. And he said, well, what have you got to lose? The weather's really bad. She says, well, 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 okay. And she says, she goes, okay, God, can you just help me, please? And this friend said, but that's not good enough. You've got to really say it like you mean it. You so the next minute, she's going, okay, God, can you please help me? And then guess what happened? All of a sudden, similar to what you were talking about, all of a sudden there's light parts, all this stuff happens, and she's going, oh, my gosh, I'm not ready for this. you know. And so I'm not saying that that's going to happen all the time, but it was so funny to me that the guy not only had started to try this thing, but he'd also been encouraging others to try it, but he didn't really understand the real purpose, you know, like as far as it's, having a relationship with Jesus, it does open up a whole new dimension to life. Mary from Melbourne, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation, our special guest is Ken Duncan, and we're talking about photography, getting his tips on taking better digital photos. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Welcome along. Hi. Th- thanks for having me on the show. Uh, thank you, Mr. Duncan, it's a real pleasure to hear you talk and, and um, wonderful to hear that you're a brother in law. I, I didn't know that. Fantastic. Thank you. I've been passionate about photography for about 50 years and studied at college and so on. And, and uh, one of my sons has uh, taken on the passion, is now a professional photographer in Denmark. But I, I would, took to heart the things you were saying about the taking time. And when I was at college, um, in, uh, doing photography, I'd go out into the field. I'd have my camera, usually an SLR, it'd be on a tripod, and I'd sit there and watch and look at it and wait for conditions and the light and so on. Um, these days, I confess, most of my photography is taken with an iPhone. And I, I guess my question is, with the abundance of small point-and-shoot cameras available to us today, um, is it still possible to take the necessary time to get that beautiful shot? Yeah, that's what sets you apart from the crowd. <laughs> so, like, you don't necessarily always have to take time. Sometimes you've got to respond very quickly because something's happening, you know, very quickly. But it's more being willing to just get in that zone that I'm talking about. And, you know, people often say, oh, there's such a plethora of photography. How do you stand out? Well, you stand out by taking good photos. And the yeah. thing is, it's always, it's not about the technology that makes a great photo it's the person who has the eye to see the photo and to be able the capturing it is the craft so that's what i'm really trying to teach more 
Yeah, and I think yeah. it's more important for people not to lose heart, but to stay the ground and keep going and find out, finding out what is it, God, what is the story you want me to tell? And that's why, you know, once you find that story, then tell it well. Tell it to the highest ability you can. That's what yeah. needs to be done. So get back on the horse and find out from all of those years what is it that is the story you want to tell and what is it, is it that the story you want to leave. Graham from Tasmania, thanks so much for your input. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, Ken Duncan's our guest. Ken, uh, let's move slightly away from photography for a moment because oh. we've been talking about some of these projects that you are supporting. We mentioned the Walker Wild Foundation. You work with yeah. young Indigenous uh, people in communities in the Kimberley. There's another project I want to just raise with you. It's the Raising the Cross in Central Australia. This is uh, one that we've talked about before, but uh, give us uh, an update uh, as to how things have gone with that. Well, the Walker Wild Foundation has actually started up in the Red Centre and the the, the whole concept is to have have centres in remote communities where they actually have technology, the latest technology um, and also tourism. So it's going to help develop tourism opportunities, creating jobs in remote communities, but teaching the skills of technology and photography, cinematography, music. And we've got some really world-class musicians and cinematographers and all sorts of people and, uh, who want to help as part of an ongoing program. So out of that we're, that we're doing out in a place called Half Bluff, they had, we had a big concert there. And we had bands from Hillsong and all sorts of things, but we had, more importantly, their groups, which was a sing-along mob, and they were just amazing. And the vision came at that that uh, big concert to build a cross on top of a mountain, which is very special. It has a Christian DNA out there. <coughs> and so they said, Ken, because of our work out there, can you help us build this cross? And I'm thinking, okay, why are we building a cross? And they said, look, we want people to know that in our nation we are in spiritual warfare and that we want people to know that our land is covered by the blood of Jesus and that he's our protector over our place. And we want this to be a mountain of prayer when anyone, where anyone can come, no matter what they believe or whatever, to come and pray on that mountain. It's going to be a cross that brings unity. I thought, oh, well, that's a pretty good reason. Yeah. And I said, okay, look... I'll help, but as long as, you know, it's not me doing all the work and you're not helping as well. And they said, oh, no, 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 let's go. And so that's where the journey started. And yes, we had just been a miraculous journey. I won't talk too much about it because it would take too long. But basically, um, we're underway. We've, um, you know, had all sorts of struggles on the way because when you start building a cross, you know, everybody comes out of the woodwork. But the Lands Council went out there and we've gone through the process and the people want the cross and they've had to prove that themselves. So it's, I've, I haven't been able to influence or wouldn't influence them. I said, you've got to you know, be the ones to get through. Um, the cross is going to be 22 metres high and it's going to be illuminated at night by solar power so that it'll just glow and float in space. And um, we've started, we've just started on the track up. Um, it's costing a million dollars because the, most of the expense is building the track up. 
because you know and we have to do it all properly we can't just get a bulldozer and go hey let's put a track up it has to be done you know perfectly so that it's a real honor not just something rushed up there and we've just completed the most difficult part uh building the track up along the side um and we're just looking to keep going but uh at present we just need to keep funds coming in and as the funds keep coming in we're just going to keep going all the way to the top and get that cross up and then when it's up we're going to have a huge celebration now people got to understand a lot of people have opinions oh you know why should they have a cross i said listen their land if they want to cross why not and if they're helping why not this is a positive story and the way I see it is really also good. This is going to bring lots of tourists to this area. This creates jobs in the community, real jobs, not these fake jobs that they do for work for the doll. This is going to create incredible opportunities for the kids, rangers to look after the area, and tourism to take people out and show them their culture, show them how to do bush tucker, and you know to to look after the caravan park that we're going to have to put out there because people are going to want to go out there and pray on this mountain. And it's one of the most spectacular areas in the whole of Australia. And most people don't even know about Haas Bluff. But when people find out about it, we're going to see lots of tourists going out there. And for photographers, imagine, like, when you go out to Uluru, it's not a very good experience. You go out there, you can't do this, you can't do that, and you can't even see a lot of the areas that are spectacular that I used to, years ago, be able to go and photograph. But now out here, this is going to be a user-friendly place where you'll be able to come out there. You'll be made welcome to the country because you'll take along with you guides, young people who belong to that country or older people who belong to that country who will be welcoming you to the country and showing you, you know, spectacular photo opportunities. So... Now, just give us a, a quick idea of the geography here, because it's okay. uh, a couple of a couple of hours out of Alice Springs. Is that how you describe it? Two hundred kilometres southwest of Alice Springs. Okay. And so it's now to get to it, you can get halfway there on pretty good roads, but then you've got a you know a dirt track to get there, and we like that because we don't want thousands of people turning up necessarily. We just like to make it a bit difficult, so it becomes more a trip where you've got to put a little bit of effort to get there. And then, you know, even climbing the mountain, when you get on top of that mountain, you, you wouldn't, if you didn't know what to pray for, you just look around you and you just go, Lord, thanks for being alive. <laughs> to be able to see this is a spectacular view. And so it'll be a, you know, a real treat. And it's a big project. And, you know, we've faced lots of opposition. It seems like everybody has opinions about what Indigenous people want or should do. But, you know, it's time for us to get alongside Indigenous people right at the front face of things and walk with them, not just, you know, create mountains of bureaucracy that stifles any creativity. So, so this is why I want to also get to the government because we've got to start looking at programs right at the base and getting some of this finance into the base. But it has to be programs that are self-sustainable. You can't, no one, you know, no government can keep just pouring money into this thing because all that's happening is that the process, that middle section, all that the management is just growing and growing and growing. So any money the government pours in from the top, a trickle filters through at the bottom and the rest is all consumed in this process. It's out of hand and Malcolm himself has to look at this because only he is the one who can really 
you know, make people do something about this because our kids out there and these remote communities, they're really doing it tough. And these policies that have been thrown at them like this um, now, the big idea is give them a credit card. You know, the credit card companies have got this credit card system with 75%, I think, uh, they can only buy certain things on the credit card, only in certain shops, and it's meant to stop them buying alcohol or things like this. So here they are, they're just giving a credit card where they're going to do certain things and they think that's going to work. That's not going to work. It's just going to create more problems. And I mean, why are the credit card companies doing this? Are they getting a percentage on every transaction that goes through that? Billions of dollars going through a credit card and they get a percentage, or are they doing it for nothing? I very much doubt it. So there's a lot of people in there, and we need to look at what's happening. The mining companies, there's a lot of pressure on our remote Indigenous communities, and we need to look at this because it's one of the most serious problems in our nation right now. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Acclaimed landscape photographer Ken Duncan, our guest, 1-800-316-316. It might be time for another call. Let's take a call from Adrian in Queensland. Hello, Adrian. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning, Neil. Thanks very much for your show. Good morning, Ken. Thanks for attending. Well, my pleasure. Um, the, the, the reason for the call, Ken, I attended your Wow Factor uh, show in Brisbane, and it was uh, an awesome day. And I was very blessed to have won the P800 printer, so I have been making prints, oh. and they're fantastic. <laughs> so, well done. Yeah, yeah, it, it was terrific, and you're absolutely right. Printing out photographs is, is awesome, and the, you know, up to A2 size. Um, the reason for the call is, is I've really enjoyed photography. I picked it up probably only three years ago, having always enjoyed art and, and uh, taking and happy snaps, but now into photography. What I wanted to ask is how long did it take you uh, when you picked up your craft, before you actually started to generate income from it, I, I'm very keen to transition slowly into it because I really am enjoying it. Um, look, if you do what I was talking about, creating a portfolio, you can start pretty well straight away if you're getting an image that's getting that wow factor. So, But you need to do, when I was talking about portfolios, you need to get that portfolio happening, begin to show people... Uh, and getting response, and if they respond, be ready to sell them a print. That's how you know, quickly it can happen. You know, so the process has been done. So just follow that process. Do on that little thing you you'll have how to do a print. Just follow that formula, and you're away. Okay. Um. Any tips, or do you do you mentor, or can you give any mentoring advice for for people new in the craft? Well, look, we always are on the website, so um, we're putting up a series of uh, videos called uh, Printman videos, um, which is explaining different things. So uh, the, you'll see a few up there already, and there'll be more coming so that I can you know, try and help people with little videos because people don't like to read anymore. They like to see videos, so we'll show them some more. <laughs> Thank you to Adrian from Queensland and uh, all of those other callers who've been part of this conversation through the hour. Time is running out. Uh, Ken, you're running seminars uh, for people to be uh, able to uh, to take better uh, digital photos, and I'll point people to your website for details about how they can be involved in those seminars, kenduncan.com. But I want to finish, and uh, we need to be 
fairly quick, but you've got yep. such a passion for Central Australia, uh, for the Kimberley, and uh, you work with Indigenous young people. And yep. uh, I just wanted to just capture your heartbeat because I know you're so passionate about what can happen in Australia, an optimistic outlook for the future, and even the possibility of revival. Uh, just to end on a, a, a high note for us on your thoughts about the future of okay. uh, Indigenous Australia and uh, for Australia overall. Look, it's not just the youth, it's the whole Indigenous population. I believe God has got plans for our nation for revival, Holy Spirit revival. And I think the Indigenous people are paramount in that whole thing because they have such an understanding of the spiritual realm, probably even more so than us white people or European descendant people. Now, I think as we begin to learn to walk together, we can herald in what God's trying to do in this nation. And I'm so excited uh, and that's why I'm wanting to be out there with those people because I just love being with Indigenous people because, yes, they've got issues out there, but we can help them with that, but also they can give us so much in understanding and learning to walk in the Spirit. You know, when when you pray for people out there, they get healed often, most of the time, because they've just got such faith and hope. And, you know, that's encouraging. I, and, and when I'm out there, you know... I was just talking to them the other day. I said, so how do you define the Holy Spirit? And rather than getting into some big technical you know, thing about the Holy Spirit conversation, they said, Ken, just look in the wind. Just look in the trees. Look all around you. It's moving all around us. And I went, well, that's pretty cool. You know, cause even Jesus said it's like the wind. It comes from here and goes who knows where. And rather than, you know, they have a great understanding because they actually operate in it. And, you know, this... There's a revival already happening in the heart of our nation. So as much as there can be some sad things where people are learning to embrace Jesus and embracing him, hope is coming in because there's no hopelessness when you have Jesus. And so something's brewing in the heart of Australia. I believe if you talk to all the prophets, they know it. They know that something's happening in the heart of Australia. So that's why I'm out there walking with those people to try and help because if there's revival happening in my nation I want to be part of that whatever small part that is and I believe this cross is part of God's strategy to to wake us up to our only hope is Jesus our only hope is you know getting connected through him now that doesn't mean that other people can't do whatever they want to do but us Christians need to get united we're so divided in so many ways we need to start get focused on the most important thing and that's the cross and what it means and what was given to us about connection to god through that what happened on that cross well ken just great getting your insights today it has been a pleasure we could talk like this uh, for another hour easily and i think we should plan to do that on another day but no i'll point people to your website ken duncan Dot com, and uh, I hope there's a link there for your Walk a While Foundation connections and uh, for some of these other things we've been talking about, that cross in Central Australia. Uh, well, but, uh, but uh, you know, KenDuncan.com, and uh, you'll be able to send Ken an email if you have any further questions. Ken, yeah. thanks Ken, so much for being with us. My pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.